Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way, and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nera. Today I'm joined by Amanda E. White. Amanda is a licensed therapist and the creator of the popular Instagram account, Therapy for Women. Her practice, Therapy for Women, is based in Philadelphia where she serves clients across the country. Her debut novel, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love, came out just last week on January 4th. The book is an honest discussion of mental health where she explores the reasons why many drink alcohol and what the benefits are from taking a break. Hey, Amanda. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I feel like as good as we all can be. I know. In like, you know, year two of the pandemic. (laughs) Everyone I know just, I just got an email of, of a girlfriend I saw last week. She's like, um, I need to talk to you like everyone in my whole family has COVID. I was like, great. I was like, well, I'll take a test after I interview Amanda. So I just have like spiral, uh, you know, it's uh, it's crazy. And people are it drinking really more is. because of it. Let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It's drinking is at an all time high from what I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they said it's up 20% since wow. the beginning of the pandemic, which is a lot. <laughs> And have they said whether it's, is it more women or men or it's equal? Do you know? Like since the pandemic. Yeah, I I know in, there's like two statistics, so it's hard to tease them apart. In general, women have been drinking more. So it's hard, like the trend of women have been that they've been drinking more. So it's hard to tell. Um, because but taking both. care of the kids. So it's, like, yes, you know. Just exactly. But both have been drinking more during the pandemic, both genders or all genders. I want to dive right in because when I, when I first, uh, uh, you know, discovered you was through Todd, my friend Todd. I love Todd. No, he's so great. And, um, I, when I saw the title of your book, I was like, oh no, does this mean like, is everyone an alcoholic? Like, you know, because it's, it's hard to, I think, decipher because something in your book says, and I mean, I've always thought this too, that alcohol is, is a drug in essence, but it's legal. So it's become the norm in many, I think most cultures, especially America to have a drink, right? Yep. So you say that there's three questions one should ask themselves when they're questioning their dependency on alcohol. Is alcohol making my life worse? Have you tried moderating your drinking and it didn't work? And will I be able to accomplish my goals if this drinking continues? Can you speak on that and how you came about, you know, coming to those three? Because I think those are important questions, you know? Yeah, I think so many people are, I mean, are like you in that they're worried that they might be an alcoholic or other people might be an alcoholic. I I, I just want to clear up, I'm not worried. I have a lot yeah. of other problems. I have a lot, yeah, like high five. I have a lot of other problems, as, you, as many people know, but it is not alcohol. <laughs> so. Yeah, sorry. I mean, in general, yeah. right? Like it is such a black and white thing that it can feel scary. And I think that's one thing that really limits people from questioning their relationship with it because they're afraid that someone's going to diagnose them right. as an alcoholic. And that's why I really have all my questions, not even about, is this a problem? Is it too much? Like so much of the diagnostic criteria is about how much you drink, how often, how out of control you are, all of these, I mean, important things, but they're also very easy to say, well, I don't have a problem because my drinking doesn't look like that. And I just believe we need to flip all of that upside down because never, if someone came to me, would I be saying, well, if, you know, if your anxiety isn't that bad, it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Like you're just doing a little cocaine, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's all right. You know, on the right ends. Yeah. 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 Or even like another, right. Like if someone came to me and like, I don't know, was like 
not able to sleep or something like that. Like I wouldn't be so focused on how much they were sleeping and the diagnosis of whether they were, they had insomnia. I would instead be way more concerned about how it was impacting their life. Right. And that's kind of what the heart of those three questions are is less about what does it look like and more about how is it impacting your life? Also, it's really weird. When I was reading your book, I thought this advice popped up in my head where I think it was from Gretchen Rubin's um, like habits, one of her habit books, you know, to be happy yeah. habits that make your life happier about what, uh, like, will your future self thank you for this? Yes. Which I, I just got chill because whenever I read something like that, or, or the other thing in the book was, is this a life you'd want for your child or future child? Mm-hmm. So whenever yeah. I get into a bad habit of whatever it may be, you know, binge watching TV, shopping too much, yeah. you know, staying up all night, like, you know, things like that. I wonder, or if I get in a really bad depression and can't find my way out, I'm like, what I want, you know, I try to sometimes think in the future and it can help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that, I mean, we have one life and it's, what do you want to do with your life? And again, we can justify so many things, but when we think about the future and we think about where we want to be in six months or a year or more, I think that can really be like a lot of my book too, is about like finding what, what you value and what matters to you and like taking action towards that life. Yeah. And do you think it's, it's interesting to me because so many of um, my girlfriends have stopped drinking. Hmm. That's it, amazing. It's a new, it's like a new trend. And it's, you know, I, or whether it was just a, started off as a detox and then went into, but I have one girlfriend who she's like, I may never even like go back to drinking. And I'm, I mean, we're not that close, but I know her well enough socially where I'm, I'm like, well, did she even drink that much? Do you know what I mean? I think people, yeah. like you're saying, we just ask all these questions in our head of well, what does that look like? And that's why I think it's good to go back to a baseline of, you know, like the three things you ask in the book and what you're saying, because there's all these, like, I mean, this is going to be, I want to ask you this, but like, this is probably an awful question, but I feel like yeah, growing up, you would always hear if you've blacked out more than nine times, you're an alcoholic. Yeah. And then someone's like, oh no, if you've blacked out once. And so mm-hmm. I, what, where is the barometer on that? Or do you not want to say I think the barometer doesn't matter because I think the intention of the barometer Mm -hmm. is for people to figure it out. And I don't care. (laughs) Like that's lovingly. Yeah. I don't think it matters whether you're an alcoholic or not. I mean, the other crazy thing about even the word is it's an, it's like an outdated term that doesn't even really exist. Yes. I had no idea Um, learning about the history of it. It was this guy in Sweden, right? Yeah. Yep. He coined the term in like the 1800s. It was, I mean, and it's important to put into context too, because so the word alcoholism hasn't existed in the like diagnostic manual of statistical, which is like, which is what therapists diagnose people with essentially since the 1970s. And at that time, remember too, homosexuality was also listed as a mental health disorder. So it's like important to contextualize how much like has changed since then. Yes. So yeah. So the word alcoholic to me is just outdated. Alcohol use disorder is a better barometer if someone is looking for more of a guide and it is like a spectrum of mild, moderate, um, and severe. Yeah. That's Um, really interesting. I saw that, that now it's updated. Was it in the eighties that it updated to that or no, or to know the spectrum? The spectrum, yeah, it came out in like, yeah, 2015. I mean, I love being diagnosed where my shrink is like, Katie, please. And I'm like, no, I'm paying you to tell me what's wrong with me. And it's so interesting how some people really like it. I like it. Yeah. But, and some people hate it. Oh, I so it's really everything. Like I'm very Seinfeld. Like I want the knowledge. I want to it helps me because uh, I like yeah. in- learning information. So it's, it's like yeah. scratching an itch. Yeah. So, um, so I was very surprised, but also interested that those terms and that that like new spectrum didn't come out till 
I guess, what was that? Nine years ago. Yeah. Just so recent. It's very recent. Yeah. It was a big change because before that it was diagnosed, it was called like abuse. And I spent a lot of time in graduate school with teachers who would be like, what's the difference between abuse and dependence? Cause it was never like use was never talked about. It was like you abused alcohol or drugs or you were dependent on alcohol and drugs and abuse was fine. <laughs> dependence like wasn't really. So what, yeah, what, I mean, it wasn't like, what is, what is fine? Like if someone's you, if, if I was listening to this, I'd be like, okay, well, what is fine? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And is it all just, I, I think obviously we know if you're drinking like three bottles of wine alone at night, maybe you have a problem or right. you want to look at that. Right. But like for somebody who maybe, I don't know, like, how do you answer that? I think a big part of it too is also the trend. So that's like one thing I see as a therapist is which way is it trending? Because it is easy. People can stop for short periods of time or cut back for short periods of time. But if you zoom out on the like up and down of the trend, is it getting more like, are you drinking more over time? Are the consequences getting worse over time? Do you need more alcohol to accomplish the same feeling? Um, are the impacts, you know, getting bigger that is a very um, important distinction when you're looking at kind of like addiction, alcohol use, all of that. That makes sense. Because if you zoomed out of someone's life, you're like, well, that was me in college, but now I don't. Or maybe that was me at the end of a bad relationship. But this past year or two years, it seems more healthy or, you know. Exactly. I see you won't, you're not very black and white. You want to give it I'm not. gray areas. I see <laughs> how it is. Great area. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Cause I can think of like 10 different like people who might in, like in my head, how my brain works is I think of specific people and how that might not apply to them and this and that. So it, it, it is like my strength and my weakness of how, you know, not, I won't give it a straight answer sometimes. <laughs> my God. That's all right. That's all right. The other parallel though that you drew upon and you've probably, and I, I know you've talked about this on social and possibly in other articles was that women find it easier to talk about calories or their diets. Mm. And like, I feel like we can talk about that all day or are more than happy to give you like, well, this is what I ate or, oh my gosh. But then when, if you say like, well, how many glasses of wine did you have? People get really offended really quickly. And yeah. can you take us through like the history of why that is? Cause I feel yeah. like way more shaming with women than where if men want to like drink with the boys, you know, like that's fine. Well, a lot of it stems from like, if you look at the history again, women weren't really like the target demographic oh. for big alcohol, like advertising men. Yeah. Advertising men were considered the ones that drank more. I mean, even if you think about until you know, like women were out of the home and could have careers and birth control and stuff. They weren't out at the bar drinking because they were taking care of their families and things like that. I don't remember off the top of my head, the exact date, but I think the fifties, sixties, seventies ish was when there was a big marketing campaign that like big alcohol essentially discovered that women were an untapped market. And they started advertising to women directly. Alcohol companies did. I would imagine it was like the late 50s, early 60s. I'm seeing like a martini glass, you know, or yeah, like the chic gloves yes. and the martini. Okay. And even like feminism was like wrapped up in that. And some of the campaigns were like, it's like feminist to drink because you're like <laughs> taking your seat at the table with the men and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so that was really when it started to change and, you know, that just continued obviously with like mommy wine culture and like white girl rosé, all of this really specific targeted marketing, um, at women. So I think that's been something that's changed. And then if we compare that women have always been more of the target demographic for diets, for changing their bodies, for detoxes and all of these types of things. So, I mean, I think in general too, because women are just taught, we're taught that we will talk about calories. We'll talk about what's in our food. We will scrutinize every single thing. Yeah. 
but we'll like drink alcohol, which is like a known carcinogen and all of these things. Which is ethanol, but, which I didn't even. Yeah. But is ethanol just liquor or is that also wine? Because I, I didn't realize that like the fuel, basically the uh, of the uh, fuel for a rocket, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a hundred, like it's 70, I think, percent or 60%. You're so good at numbers. You should, <laughs> I feel like I, any wrong number you're going to, you're going to know. Like, let me count my calculator. <laughs> no, um, it's also, it's, it's what's produced essentially. So it's the compound of it. Like, um, that's what alcohol is. It's the compound essentially. No, I, I was so, and I literally screenshot a page from your novel and sent it to my shrink. And I was like, Hey, I have a quick question. Is this true about the gray matter? Yeah. I just, and he was like, yeah. And it actually can really affect white matter of the brain. So we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. I had no idea that that is true. Yep. Yeah. That actually, actually that's my next question is how does yeah. alcohol affect women's well, medical and mental health directly, right? So we know that there's research on, I think it's breast cancer directly relating to alcohol consumption and obviously liver disease, I would, I'm yes. what else? Yes, medical. Well, there are, there are seven different cancers I know that are linked. The, biz, the biggest studies, the most robust studies are um, breast cancer, but I believe it's liver cancer. It's esophageal cancer. Oh, wow. It's a couple other cancers that I don't know off the top of my head, but breast cancer is like extremely tied to it. Wow. And they've done some really study, big studies recently about it. And then, so with the mental aspect of it before, obviously like the shame and all of that, that it actually affects the gray matter of your brain. I found that really like, I was like, wait, I need to reread this. And that it's more times, four more times than smoking or tobacco did. Yeah. Should I start smoking? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just like, I, cause people just, they'll tell you all day long, smoking is bad for you. Oh, you know, and it's just, I just thought that was really interesting. Can you speak a little bit, that part of the, where you're talking about the matter and how it can really I mean, is it brain damage? No, it just, it's not brain damage. It's in studies. They've seen that it just like that there's more gray matter with people that, um, that don't drink as like, they've seen the brains change essentially. And brains can shrink sometimes essentially it happens with other things too, besides alcohol. I don't know of exactly all those things off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it's how your brain processes it. Cause the other thing that people don't realize is if your body can't break down alcohol quick enough, it turns into a different substance. That's extremely toxic. Yeah. It's called, let's see if I can pronounce this acetyl. Ac- <laughs> it's okay. This makes me sound so stupid. <laughs> acetyl, acetylide or something like that. Acetylide. I think so. I don't exactly know how you pronounce that. So if, but ethanol will turn into that essentially. So if it's, so that's no matter what, whenever if you drink out- more than your body can process, okay, that's what your body does to it. And that's like the problem is your body. It's so toxic. Like your body doesn't want to store it essentially anywhere. It doesn't want to put it in your liver. So that's when actually it goes into your capillaries and that's where it can start releasing. And that's why breathalyzers work. Essentially. Wow. Also why a lot of, I, I grew up around a lot of red faced men, drunks. Capillaries. Yeah. Like just red, like, yeah. Like that's how exactly. I've always assigned. I mean, yep. if you were like an older white man, like you had a red face, like you probably had a drinking problem disorder. Yeah. I say, yeah. yeah. I mean, or you drank <laughs> a lot. I don't, I mean, yeah. Cause they, the body just couldn't break it down. Exactly. In your uh, book also, and then just the point of like that you didn't have to hit rock bottom, Mm -hmm. I think is really important because I think people imagine with any problem they have or whether it's, you know, suicidal ideation, anxiety, not alcoholism, drinking disorders. So like they imagine you have to be like in a ditch, naked, waking up with like your underwear lying next to you. You know, like sometimes it's like, can be you just waking up realizing, oh my God, what, what is going on, you know, or you with a stoplight or, you know, it's, 
it, you can have those realizations, not at rock bottom, quote unquote. Exactly. And I think a lot of people have this idea that they like need to wait until rock bottom as though it will be more effective if they've lost more. So some people do kind of do that and it's not more effective. It doesn't make you more likely to get better if your life was worse <laughs> beforehand. If anything, it makes it harder because you have farther to climb out of the hole that you're in. But you were just, how many years ago was that? When you woke Seven up? Seven and a half. Okay. You went to AA though. I did actually did. Okay. in the beginning of my journey. Yeah, I did go to AA. I'm not involved in AA anymore, but it was something that I knew someone who was in AA. So it was kind of like the first, it was just kind of what I did. There also weren't a lot of options back then in terms of like Instagram was still really new. Like there weren't a lot of sober communities um, or anything else that I knew. So I was lucky that I made friends and that created like community for me and um, gave me support. And I was also in therapy, which made a huge difference. So did you find, cause I, I've also, I've been doing like, I feel like a crash course in the past week of, you know, drinking and women and the relationship that the, it was the girl power movement article on the cut. Yeah. And, you know, they, they quote Holly Whitaker. Yeah. Um, and she is very hard on AA, which is, you know, everyone she has is. a different experience. And the comments, people just like ripped her a new one where they just were like, this is some white, you know, white bitch savior thing where it's like, it's just this woman's opinion and her experience. And I do know a lot of women, more young women, it seems that they do turn to AA and it becomes these men just like trying to ask them out. Yeah. You know, and it's like, <laughs> like literally like, and there was someone in, in the, the, in the comments that wrote this whole story. And then like someone else was like, that was me. And that was, you know. So what are your feelings on AA? Yeah. Because I think a lot of different therapists, I know there's this hypnotist here that he helps a lot of people quit smoking and he's never been a fan of AA because he thinks either like saying I'm an alcoholic over and over again every day. He's like, I don't see how that's helpful. So like hot topic. It is, it is, it is. I think, and this is, I think, I mean, I, I understand where she's coming from. I think I have a different opinion just because I was in AA. So she doesn't have a personal experience in AA. So she I never think went to AA. Okay. No. Okay. I think there's flaws for sure. I think it doesn't work for everyone. I think it can cause a lot of issues for people who don't identify with being an alcoholic. I didn't know if I was an alcoholic at first. I think that, um, there are like, I mean, I think the biggest criticism I'll say of AA too, is that it does have roots in religion. So it is very like people say it's like non-secular and you can choose your own higher power. But I mean, the person who founded AA, it was based on the Oxford religious group essentially. So there is a lot of God language, which can be a real turnoff and doesn't work for people. And the program hasn't changed since its inception, essentially in the 1950s. That is so crazy because I didn't know you're going to be like really bitch because it started in 1935. Yeah. Good job. Very good. And that I had no idea that it for a long time, it didn't let women or people of color. Yeah. And the book hasn't really changed. Really? Like, like the, yeah, even the man. Yeah. So they've extended stories and now there's stories of women and there's stories of people of color and things like that. But there's still a chapter in the book that's called to the wives because wives were not ever alcoholics. So it was like how to take care of your like alcoholic man. Maybe they need to update that chapter. That's insane. And that's the problem is they're very like, we will never update it. This is how it was intended. Um, so that I think to me is probably my biggest critique is I think there could be a lot of good and they could, if they changed and they were willing to like adapt more, but it's very, very set in like beyond this edition from the 1950s that changed with women and, you know, minorities and people of color beyond that, we're not changing anything ever. Okay. All right. So they are not, I guess, evolving really. That's okay. It's also, you talk a lot more as well about 
being able to say it and be okay with it. Because not even just women, I have one of my best friends, he's never drank because his father is an yeah. alcoholic. And so he just chose never to drink. Yeah. And he still to this day has to fake like doing shots at like the mm. office party. Yeah. Like throwing them over his shoulder. I mean, <laughs> no, because like, it's like yeah. easier than saying, yeah, I don't drink. Cause then everyone's like, oh, why? What What's going on right. with you? Or right. I remember when I was younger, I was always bullied into like, drinking we were out at a club like I, I just never it's mainly because of all the medicine I'm on it makes me very tired yeah. when I drink yeah so I don't mind having wine or something with dinner but I'm just not a big I'm such a lightweight and but I felt like oh I guess I'll have another like vodka red bull and like you know and just it, you get kind of bullied into that absolutely because in our culture if you don't drink there's no reason anyone should not drink. That's good enough unless you're an alcoholic. No, so if you're not drinking, you're an alcoholic. It's kind of like admitting that sometimes. Or you're like weird or what's wrong with right. you because it's, but it's also because of, I think that the people that are bullying people into drinking, it's because it makes them uncomfortable. Like, wait, Completely. this person's going to be sober and like, what's wrong with them? Like, we're all trying to have fun, you know? And yep. I think that's probably really hard for especially the younger set, like younger generation of, you know, people growing up. Yeah. Or I, actually, I guess adults still too, with my friends who <laughs> work, like, I don't think that's, I would hope still happening, but I remember he told me like, you have to do that. You can just not want it, not be interested, not drink. Like there, there are so many reasons, like completely. I mean, there are religious reasons. There's having trauma, there's being on meds, there's not enjoying it. Right. There's so many reasons. And it's like, we we can't comprehend it. And it's hard because then you get, there's so much stigma that then people don't want to say that they don't drink. And then that kind of reinforces the stigma because people don't realize how many people don't drink or don't like to drink. Yeah. No, it becomes sort of a vicious cycle. So what do you exactly. say when you're out? Like, let's say you meet someone who doesn't know you or yep. your work or is living in a cave, I don't know, or like read, not read your novel. And they're like, let's go have some wine. Or like, how do you say to someone, like, I'm not drinking tonight or, or what, like, what do you think is the best way to phrase it? For me, I just say like, I don't drink. I, I say sometimes like I've drank enough for a lifetime is kind of one of my go-tos. Um, I don't drink anymore. It doesn't agree with me. Okay. So you're just very, just matter of fact. Yeah. I mean, and I think for people who don't know if they're not going to drink for, you know, people who are maybe on a break, I think that's where saying like, I'm not drinking tonight or I'm not drinking right now, um, can be helpful. My biggest piece of advice is to not use an excuse because what do people normally do? A lot of times people will use an excuse. They'll say like, oh, I'm the DD. I have to get up early. You know, I'm sick and I'm taking antibiotics. Some there's a, there's a reason why they're not drinking. Hi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again. No, just, um, yeah, no, but it's, it's funny. People assume with women too. They're like, oh, must be pregnant. Like the amount of times people, especially in Europe, it's like, what? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, really? In Europe, you mean when you say in it? Europe specifically or Italy, when I've been that it's like, yeah, it's shocking. They, so do people drink more? Cause I think your book was saying, do people drink more in America than Europe? Is that true or what? I don't know that statistic off the top okay. of my I'm head. Curious. I, yeah, I know in England specifically, they drink a lot. Uh, potentially more than America. I think it's hard because America is such a huge country. It's like hard sometimes to compare America to England. I know we have a reputation for binge drinking, especially in college. Okay. Were we um, probably because of Europe? Because they do, I think they do everything more in moderation there. So it's like, oh, we grew up. And they have a younger drinking age too. So I think it does. There's a, I mean, I think one of the worst things we do in America is the drinking age is like halfway in between college. So people are drinking in college, but under age and it's sneaking and all of this. Right. All of this stuff. So what is the best way if you think your husband or partner or maybe roommate? has mm-hmm. a drinking problem are they just supposed to like leave your book on the coffee table like how <laughs> what is the best way to approach someone you know that you care about yeah I think it's a great question I think trying to have a conversation with them mm-hmm. saying like I love you I care about you 
checking in with their like mental health first, rather than going right for like, I think you have a drink, you know, like saying like, are you okay? I've noticed like you've been drinking more. I like, are you, and really coming at it, I think from the mental health angle so that it's not just like, there's something wrong with you. And instead creating some context that maybe they're struggling with something. Cause most people who are drinking a lot are struggling with their mental health. I would say in some capacity, there's something else going on. Um, and hoping to have a conversation and I mean, offering to give them, you know, support or resources. If you can, obviously if they are defensive and not interested in the conversation, there's not a ton that you can do beyond saying, I'm here. If you change your mind or offering, you know, if it's your roommate, like, let's go do something that doesn't involve alcohol. So you can be like a positive influence on them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's such a, it's a slippery slope. I would imagine when you confront anyone, I don't think I've ever had to do that with an like addictive behavior of anything because you don't want to come in an attacking way. And, but at the same time, if you really do see someone where it's like, why are they drinking so much? And like all these things are happening and it's actually now like legal things that are yeah. going awry. And um, I mean, what is, I wonder the number one reason why people drink, I would assume it is to like escape their reality. I would say so. Or like, like, like top three, is it just yeah. depression? I would say stress, anxiety, depression. Right essentially people use it. A lot of us don't and never learned how to manage our emotions, how to deal with stress effectively. And people are taught, I think through the media, through people they see through their families, that the way to deal with a hard day is to, you know, pour yourself, pour yourself a glass, you know? Now, is that, is that what you were taught? Like, why do you think you went drinking? I had an eating disorder also growing up. So it got very intertwined, um, with my alcohol use, but I started drinking because I had a lot of social anxiety. And to me, it was like confidence. It was friends. I felt connected. I could go to parties and talk to people who I couldn't talk to when I was sober. I think that's a big reason too, that people start drinking. And how, how does, how did it sort of get intertwined with your eating disorder, the drinking, or how can that? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a really, for a statistic, it's like they've done different studies, but in women, especially the co-occurring use of alcohol use or substance use disorders and eating disorders is incredibly high. Some studies say like between 35 and 40%. Well, maybe because also then you don't have to eat to drink. Exactly. So that was how mine would be funny. Like, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay. So yeah, go on. So is that, is that, So that was part of mine is I would not, I would skip meals to be able to get drunker and things like that. Um, Then I would like binge when I was drunk and purge afterwards and things like that. Um, And it all got very tied in. I also got addicted to Adderall. So Adderall had me get way, way, way more drunk and also killed my appetite. Um, But I think a lot of women, especially like in that college period, like I was terrified of gaining the freshman 15 and everyone told me like, you, you start drinking a lot of beer in college and you're going to get like the freshman 15 and all of these things. And so then you start thinking about, oh my gosh, alcohol has so many calories. How can I cut back on calories? And you start eating less or or drinking vodka. Yes. Because I feel like, yes, I'm taking shots. (laughs) No, I'm always astounded by there's, I won't say who, but you know who you are. But some, some of my girlfriends, like they drink a lot of wine. And a few yeah. years ago, one of them was like, I just don't know what I, how, why I can't lose weight. And I wanted to be like, um, honey, it's the <laughs> bottle of wine you're drinking a yeah. night. Like it has a lot. Yeah. I think people kind of don't realize the calories or yeah. Like, and again, no judgment, I, but I felt like right. I couldn't say that to her. Yeah. I was just like, oh, well, and there's like no nutritional value, obviously. So there's no <laughs> in alcohol too. So you're like not getting wine, nutritional needs met. Even what? Wine. There's no nutritional or, or beer. Cause we were, I, I feel like you talked a little bit about that because of the yeast or like there's nothing. Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, a nutritionist would know better Maybe than a little me. in beers. In one yeah. There might be a little, but yeah. in terms of like nutrients no. and stuff yeah. like that, 
No. Yeah. Your body is not like, thank you for this great. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you, um, did you find it harder to like come to the reality of disordered drinking or the eating disorder or both, or was it different? So they were very different because, so I was bulimic. So I knew that I had an eating disorder. Like I knew people shouldn't be like, I shouldn't be like throwing up after eating. Like it was obvious to me. Um, and I, you know, my parents found out when I was in high school. So I started seeing a therapist in high school to work through it where the drinking, my drinking, I thought looked like everybody else. So I think a lot of people think, yeah, yeah. So it was way harder for me to come to reality with that. I was, I justified it for a lot longer. I felt very much like, you know, I could, I wanted a life without an eating disorder. Like no one wants an eating disorder. Um, It was miserable, but like drinking, I didn't want a life without drinking because I thought that meant I would have no friends and have no social life and like never be able to date. (laughs) Well, I guess if people, if that's your reality, you know, like what, and that's what you've, all you've ever known. Yeah. Why would you think any different? Exactly. Is it, was it the hardest, I guess, really like the first week you go? Was the hardest to stop drinking? Of stopping drinking. And cause you talk about how you don't, which I think is important. And you, you put it in your book, you're like, don't just stop drinking. If you have a lot of other issues going on, which I think is important to say, like if you are not in a great place or mentally stable, you know, yeah. maybe try cutting back a little each day and yeah. not just this cold turkey. Yeah. Because I think that can just create more problems too. And one thing people forget about is like detoxing from alcohol is extremely dangerous. Is it really? Because It is the most dangerous drug to detox from. It is more dangerous to detox from alcohol than heroin. Really? Yeah. You cannot die detoxing from heroin. You feel like you're going to die, but you actually can die detoxing from alcohol. Why? Because just the, like your body's suddenly like what's going on. Yeah. I don't exactly. I, I just know it can cause something. Um, Probably maybe like, like liver shut down or some, one of your organs. Yeah. It's called DST. And it's essentially when you have tremors and stuff like that. Like you get sick when you're detoxing from heroin, you like throw up and you feel like you have the flu and stuff like that, but your body becomes actually more dependent in terms of just how it functions with alcohol. Um, so if you just quit cold Turkey and you drink, it depends on the person. So it, there's no, you know, right. like perfect weight, answer, right. but obviously exactly. But especially if you're drinking every day and more than one drink every day, you're, you can become dependent on it. And it's like, you have to get medical treatment and there's medicines that can help you safely detox from it, but it's very dangerous. I didn't know that. Yeah. Most people don't because we just assume alcohol is legal. So it's, well, yeah, it's fine. It's just, it is, it is bizarre how it is. Like, I, I mean, to me personally, like I'd rather be around someone like coked out of their mind or like stoned. Like I just, that's just my own thing. I, I just can't, it's just not for me, (laughs) but I, but I, um, I've, you never think of it like now in the past few years where I've been going more into like the mental health world, I would start thinking to myself, well, why is it that alcohol is available everywhere where that is really a drug, you know, maybe not in Utah or certain States. Yes. It's not available 24 seven, but in most cities it is. Absolutely. And you are taught at a young age, like this is what you have with dinner and this is what you have with that. And, but if someone is just drinking like a glass of wine a night, is that a dependency? Um, prob- I mean, in terms of like detoxing and stuff like that, it's extremely unlikely unless it's like a huge glass or something like that. No, I mean, like, a, like um, do you think they could have a drinking disorder? They could, absolutely. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on certain factors. It depends on if they're able to be flexible in like, if they don't, if they can't drink for a week or they don't have it or something like that, what do they do? What's their, you know, how do they deal with it? Um, Like, are they like not able to be flexible? I think that's one of the biggest indicators for me is if it's like, they will go find it. 
Yeah. Like then, that, yeah. I kind of, I can just relate that to like, when I would smoke, like, it would be like, Oh, what do you mean? We can't like go outside. Like I gotta go, yeah. you know, like, so it'd be like, Oh, what do you mean? We don't have a bottle of like, I'm going to go get one. Right. Exactly. The- yeah. And again, it's like, I think there, I mean, if we're, you know, I'm not saying they have to stop or something like that. I'm not saying it's like an addiction or that it will get worse over time. I think what's important that I want to remind people of too, is like, I think we have this idea that people are like born an alcoholic or there's something about them. Or it's hereditary. I've always heard that. Is that not true? It's linked for sure. Um, And it can make you more susceptible and especially make it more difficult to moderate. Yes. But I, my whole point of really the book too, is like reminding us all that I think given enough trauma, enough exposure, enough certain things, we could all have a drinking problem. Yeah. Just like we could all have anxiety. We could all end up with cancer, all of these things. And that's really what I care about because I think people are like, no, I'm not an alcoholic. So I can drink as much as I want. And it's like, you can drink as much as you want, but you might be become more susceptible and you may to have a drinking out. problem. Then. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. People are like, but we buy it in the grocery store. It's fine. Like, oh, I just ate a like bunch of brownies or I mean, anything in excess really is not good. But you, you talked about how when you first told your mom, like I'm an alcoholic and she just was like, oh, honey, like kind of not <laughs> believing it, which I feel like if yeah. I ever told my mom anything like that, she'd be like, whatever, you know? So what, what, when did they finally say, oh, okay. Cause I know they've been huge supporters, obviously. Yeah. Your, no, they, um, your parents. yeah, they, we had to, I mean, I got into like a big fight with her essentially and was like, you have to stop saying that to me. Like it makes me want to drink. It's not okay. And I had been kind of saying it and I finally reached my breaking point. They thought it was like, Cause I, in my eating disorder, I would go on all these crazy diets and cleanses and do all this ridiculous stuff. So they thought it was like, they thought I was being dramatic. They were like, this is another cleanse Amanda's going on. And they didn't think about how alcohol is an addictive substance. It's different. Right. Well, do they drink a lot? Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening. (laughs) They're not going to listen to this. Uh, they actually have a very shocking like, thing. Excuse I mean, they, me, what do you mean they're not going to listen to me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would actually say shockingly, they have a very like healthy relationship with alcohol. They do drink, but they don't get drunk really. They yeah. kind of drink like a couple times a week, a glass or two. Yeah, that's, so, yeah. I've just, I've never like, I've never loved the taste of alcohol. I guess I've been lucky where I like like once in a while a nice drink, but also just that it would make me just so tired. So that's probably, well, that's interesting because you would think sometimes a a parental figure would be more like dismissive if they had a problem, but they probably hold you in such a, it's like my mom, like in a like light that they're like, no, 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 no. She can't be an alcoholic, you know? Yes, I think it was that. They also had a lot of ideas about- I mean, they knew how much I like struggled in college and struggled with friends with moving growing up. So they were very, my mom was very concerned that like, how will you make friends? How will you ever get married? Yeah. Oh, she's like, that's how people date. People are going to think you're weird and you're not weird, but people are going to think that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's such a mom thing to say. Yeah. And yeah. how, how did you meet your husband? You're like, mom, I got the ring. So, well, the hilarious thing is, um, we actually met, so my husband drinks, we actually met, uh, through a mutual friend who's my, who doesn't drink. Um, so I literally wouldn't have met my husband if I wouldn't have gotten sober. So I was going to ask you like, so your husband drinks. Yep. Cause I know there's a lot of people and I think, I think actually that is part of the, like, when people say they like, they don't want to say, oh, I don't drink. A lot of times, by the way, I've been guilty of this where I'm like, oh, he's sober. No, like you just yep. assume, oh, for, well, for me, it's, you have, especially online, you have like, you have like three pieces of information, right? So you have to assume a lot. Well, also it's also, I think more the AA mentality, yeah. which is really exhausting. Like I've gone out to do sober and I'm just like, oh my God, we are not at a meeting. Like sit down. You know what I mean? Like I'm like hearing the whole life story and the. And you know, and, it, and everything is about not drinking, like everything, yeah. like you could be taking out the trash and they're talking about, and it just becomes this exhausting and probably depends on where you're in your sobriety. Probably in the yes, beginning, sure. you're going to be more like that. 
But then I also know couples that make that work. So that's great that your husband doesn't, because honestly, I think people probably that really need someone that drinks to be with, they probably drink a lot. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that. I would agree with that. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like if they like yeah. party and drink a lot, then if their partner doesn't, it's like, oh, but if you're kind of more of a, just like moderate yeah, or mild, if we're going off the right. DSM-5 scale, but you know, then that you don't need that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yeah, it was like a revel. It was shocking to me when I was dating him and he was like, one of my favorite things about you is that like, you're sober because you like, I don't have to worry about you getting drunk. I don't have to worry about you. Like, you know, doing something crazy. Like you're a lot more, you show up and are consistent compared to other people I've dated. Yeah. Maybe he was dating some some (laughs) drunks. Oh my gosh. So what would you, if someone wanted, was questioning their thing, would they go back to those three questions you think, or what do you, you you still think the spectrum, right? Or the graph Mm -hmm. of zooming out and seeing kind of your history. I think that's good. I also think though, even if you don't need, like, I think the most important question is, would your life be better if you didn't drink? Even if it's only like 1% better or 5% better, to me, that's worth exploring, honestly. No, that, that is a good bottom line because one of my family members was like, ask her something about cutting down without being a total quitter. (laughs) It's like, so him, by the way. Um, yeah, (laughs) my recommendation would be, there are a lot of really great alcohol-free beverages out there. Like there's great beers now. I mean, even Coors Light I saw is like making an alcohol-free Coors Light now. Yeah. Cause it's very trendy right now. So my recommendation would be yes, mocktails, alcohol-free beverages, all that stuff. So take one of the beverages that you were going to drink and replace it with an alcohol-free beverage. Because a lot of times I think we don't even, unless you're going out to get drunk, a lot of times I think it's really about the ritual. It's about the night. It's like about the end of the day. It signals to you that it's, you know, I used to love to get in my car. I would roll my cigarettes. I would just listen to music really loud and drive. Yeah. So now I just get in the car. I still drive like fast with the music, but I don't (laughs) smoke. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, they say that with cigarettes too. It's like, I always used to smoke with certain people or you, you know, there was a song that would come on. I was, it was very emotional. So like I tried to get that release without the cigarette, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I think is really great about kind of like, or if you're not into mocktails, like make, you know, like brew yourself a cup of tea or drink seltzer or do something like you were saying that kind of, you can create a different ritual to kind of end your day and, you know, relieve your stress of the release of stress. Because the other thing that was, I mean, that's like a whole other topic, but it was interesting of like the hunter gatherer and the fear. And when people, you know, in the stone age, they would go through the whole cycle where now we don't. Yes. Yes. Is there a so to translate say that? I don't know. I- yeah. So let me translate. Essentially, right? Like uh, when we used to, right? Like our brains essentially stopped. We still have the same brains as people like cavemen, essentially, because technology has just leapfrogged us beyond evolution. Mm-hmm. So how our brains worked is we would go into fight, flight, or freeze if we were in danger. And then after the danger left, right? Like we either died or we like survived, right? Or we played dead to get away. And then afterwards we would typically do something to like, you either run and you expel that energy or you like, you know, you go back with your family and you're like celebrating that you survived. You do something to release that pent up energy. But the problem is now is there's not a lot of life-threatening things that happen to us day to day. And we get, you know, fight, flight, or freeze sitting in traffic or our boss yells at us and it happens many times a day. And then we don't do anything with that energy. And it's really important in, especially in terms of burnout to kind of like release that energy, do something, whether that's talking to someone. It's so important, honestly, like what I've learned this year or sorry, in the past year, I have to do high octane sports daily for my mental health. So I've started riding again, you know, I'm going to start competing again. Like I, it has to be that adrenaline 
because that's my release. So everyone has to try to find, especially people struggling with their mental well-being, their release, you know, Absolutely. in a healthy way. So yeah. for me, it's become like, whether it's riding, skiing, I have to do something that really, it's, it takes your complete focus. Kind of like what you're saying, or you will die. I'm looking for those old school, you could die <laughs> or not. That was the best. Yeah. Because I thought that was interesting because you're not releasing that. And then it just builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up. And many people are going to the bar or whatever and getting it out in that way, but they don't really get it out. It sounds like doing that. You're just numbing it. You're numbing it. And then it kind of never really gets processed and worked through in your body because your emotions are very connected with your body also. You know, that's how emotions start. So it is important. It, like you said, it doesn't need to look like skiing. Like I'm very into like getting my heart rate up, whether that's like cycling or doing kind of like something like that. It could yoga. Be like, yeah. Whatever. Right. It could be stretching. It could be going for a walk, but doing something like mindful to kind of get out of your head, get into your body process things. Yeah, no. And then, um, the other thing that was interesting, which, I mean, I guess I kind of already, I knew that alcohol affected your sleep. But mm -hmm. there was someone in your book that described it. It's more like a sedation, yeah. which I thought was fascinating where you're not, it's not the like REM sleep you really need. It's just kind of more like you're passed out really, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, I didn't know that until I started researching for the book too. But they said even with one glass of alcohol, Matthew Walker, he is like a sleep scientist. Matthew Walker. Um, he, yeah, even even if you only have one drink, it prevents your body from going into REM cycle sleep. And it's why people often who like pass out, like you'll wake up at like 3 a.m. Or, or like kind of in the middle of the night. And it's because that's when like um, you wake up from passing out because you haven't actually been asleep essentially. Yeah, I always thought it was like the sugar from the wine or something. So yeah. that was really interesting. I'm oh, sorry, my dog is barking. Shh. Um, <laughs> um, I just thought that was fascinating. I mean, I never find I sleep well, if I've had a, maybe one drink, it's not that, great, but it's, that's crazy to know even one is going to affect it. Yeah. It depends how long before you fall asleep and things like that. But essentially what's also important to remember is that when you drink anything that's a depressant, your body produces anxiety hormones like cortisol to try to create homeostasis. So that also like some of that is still going on in your body as you're trying to sleep too. And what is for people that know, what is, can you tell us what is homeostasis? Yeah. So homeostasis is just that your body is trying to be like level essentially, right? Like your body has an ideal body temperature to be at. So if you are really cold, your body's going to work harder to maintain that internal temperature. So if you take a depressant, your body has to produce chemicals to bring you back to homeostasis in your brain. If you take a depressant, it, it, it'll produce anxiety hormones. I think weed is different. I don't know the weed science off the top of my head. Well, right. Um, which weed, right? Yeah. Like I, I, or I don't know how your body, I, I'm thinking more your mind. I know a lot of people right. over time, if you're smoking mm -hmm. a lot of weed and you tend to be, have are prone to depression, it's probably not the yeah. thing. Right. We're not marijuana experts for anyone listening. So. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done that research. <laughs> our advice, but that's just from my people I've dated. I've yep. used over time. I'm like, wow, you seem really depressed. Yeah. Well, my last question doesn't really make sense. I was going to, I mean, I know this to be true. I was going to say, can someone be a functioning alcoholic? But, and then because to be honest, I know so many, but that we, I mean, they can, it's like being a functioning drug addict. Yeah. People can do, people can function and it's kind of incredible how many people can have higher power jobs, have all kinds of things and still be drinking a ton. Yeah. All right. Well, we always end with five questions. So I'm ready. You ready? Yep. What do you do for a mental break besides drink? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> joking. What do you that, all right, all right, all right. What do you do for a mental break? Like whenever you want to relax, I guess, or um, I mean, I have to, I don't know if it, this is relaxing, but I have to like work out pretty much every day because it's so important for my mental health. But I also love to take like hot baths if I need like a break and maybe, and stretching too. I love to stretch. Oh, nothing like a bath. Even though the, even though you kind of, was that you where you were like, you'd think self-care, the bath bombs. Was that? Yeah, <laughs> that was for my <laughs> And meanwhile, I was like, oh my God, 
I so think of self-care as taking a bath. Well, taking a bath. Yes. I mean, more when people are trying to sell you that this specific bath bomb is like solving all of your mental health problems. Yeah, exactly. No, no, for sure. (laughs) Uh, when is the last time you cried? I cried a couple. I cried, I think three weeks ago when I got my books in and I got to see my, my book in hardcover uh, for the first time. Did that take a while to design the cover? Was there a lot of like, yes, no, not really. I mean, I gave them a lot of ideas. Um, so they did a really good job. They kind of came to me with it. I knew I wanted like a graphic that was alcohol, but kind of abstract ish. And that was, yeah, look, that was what great. they came up with. Uh, what are you currently reading besides your own book? What am I currently, I normally am reading like 20 books at the same time. Currently I'm actually reading this book called joyful. That is about the psychology of joy and like how colors and patterns and environments impact us. Cause I'm trying to bring more joy into my life. What is the best and worst advice you've been given like over your career? Um, the best advice is that I love this quote from someone that talked about how um, like there's no such thing as balance. And you're always going to have certain, I think it was a quote that, that went around a couple years ago. You're always going to be juggling different balls, but you have to figure out which balls are glass and which are plastic Mm. because the glass ones will shatter right where you can drop plastic balls. I used to be a huge perfectionist. So that metaphor really helped me with understanding, like, I'm never going to be able to juggle everything perfectly, but if I know which things to prioritize, that's, that's most important. And the worst advice, because sometimes the worst advice can be the best advice. You know, if someone's like, oh, you'll never become a therapist or something, you're like, bye, you know? Yes. Yeah. It could just be also bad advice. Um, I think the worst advice I ever got was, I think I got into, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what the worst advice is. <laughs> so I'll say, I don't know. I, when I was struggling in my addiction, I used to think I could like manifest myself out of my addiction. I like got really into like of, manifesting of, of and thinking. like, yes. And like spiritual, like, and I thought I could manifest like recovery and I could man instead of thinking, like you could sit yes. in the chair and be like, exactly. And like Gabby Bernstein drink. stuff. Yeah. 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 And I, instead of like, just, you know, putting down the drink, <laughs> like <do laughs> going to therapy. Yeah. I really thought, well, I have to change myself before I do that. Right. right. And I often find, and I say this to clients a lot, you actually have to take action before your brain is ready. And that's how you change and start to change. No, I think that's smart. Yeah. You can think that, but you do have to like step outside this door. Do it. Or, yeah. Like you need to <laughs> yeah. do stuff, you know, just like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you said that because that, I think that's really important, especially with habits and, you know, addictions and things that people are doing daily. Yep. Um, what Instagram account do you find uplifting? I love uh, Morgan Harper Nichols Instagram, her art, her quotes. I just feel like the right one always finds me. Okay. That's good to know. That's really it. Unless you want to say anything more to anyone about not drinking tonight. I think what I'll just say is that I really loved writing the book and I love that I I talk a lot, not just about not drinking, but I talk about all different types of addictive patterns. I talk about eating disorders, other substances, shopping, workaholism. So even if maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I don't have a problem with drinking, I think that you will absolutely get something out of the book and understand yourself better. There's, I think it was, you also have some great quotes in the book. Like my inner voice is an asshole, the Dan here. But like, there's just, it's true. Like I'm not a big drinker, but like I've learned different things and it's, it's great for anyone that gets in their head or, you know, just wants to make a change in their life. Yeah. I think like a daily change. It's good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Shouts out to Amanda E. White for joining me. We're so thrilled to have you. Uh, where can our listeners find you? So you can follow me on Instagram at therapy for women. If you're on TikTok, I'm also, (laughs) I'm also on TikTok at therapy for women. 
Um, and uh, yeah, you can find my book at amandaey.com. The links are in my Instagram bio. And I also have a therapy practice. If you're interested in therapy, my therapy center is called therapyforwomencenter.com. I know we didn't even get into that. You must do a lot of virtual therapy right now, right? I do. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's all folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU and we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.